Well, the song, O Holy Night, is definitely my favorite song, Christmas song, I would say that I've ever had. Um, I would love it. I, I mean, I just love it. I would have to say it was definitely my favorite. Um, these songs start to play about this time of year every time. These songs start to play. You hear them in the radio. You hear them in the malls. You hear them in the stores. And maybe you're like me. You start to sing along with them. I sing horribly, so it's never pretty. But I wonder if you've truly listened to them, if you paid attention to the words, or if you're like me, a lot of times you don't know exactly what you're saying, so you fill in the words with other words, and then that didn't make sense. I know what that was. There's an old song years ago that I, I remember that was on the radio, and I remember I always thought it said chicken in a biscuit, because I like food, so I probably fill in with food more than likely. But, you know, we, we kind of fill in the words sometimes. We don't know what the words are actually saying. We don't know what they're actually meaning, with the, the meaning behind them. And this is one of the reasons why we decided to do this series called um, How Do You Hearken Herald? So it's these Christmas carols, these Christmas carols that we would sing about this time that truly are just really spoken and sung for at this time of year, but truly could be sung throughout any part of the year. Because what they are is they're truly just praise and worship songs to, to God. But we only sing them at this point of the time of the year, and this is what we do. So we kind of wanted to talk and see if, like, maybe you hadn't really noticed all the words, or, or maybe there's some songs that you really kind of were filling in different words and didn't quite get the meaning. So this song, like I say, is my favorite, my favorite song. I've always just loved it. I don't know if I understood it. I don't know if I really truly understand all the words that they were saying and, and what it was actually meaning, because... I didn't really understand it before. But the song actually has a really interesting history. It was actually written in 1847 by a, a poet. And actually, he was asked by a parish priest to write this song. And he was the name of Placide Capot. He was asked by this parish priest to write this poem for Midnight Mass in 1847. And after he wrote it, the priest loved it, fell in love with it, thought it was the most beautiful poem he'd ever heard. And so they decided, well, let's not just write a poem, let's make this into a song. So Placide had a friend named Adolph Adams, and they asked him if he would put it to music. And the song, O Holy Night, was born. It was actually called uh, Midnight Christians, is what it was actually originally titled. Of course, not in French. It was Minuet something, but I can't say that. So um, it was one of those things that everybody fell in love with. They sang this at this, this midnight mass in 1847, and the French people just loved this song. They adored it. They couldn't wait to sing it all the time. They, they just wanted to sing it over and over again because they enjoyed it so much. And they did for many, many years. Until, that is, the church leadership found out that it wasn't written by believers at all. It was actually written by Placide, who was actually a wine trader, and he was a wild man. He was kind of a wild card. He didn't have a belief in Christ at all. And actually, when he wrote it, when he wrote it, he actually was on a carriage ride to Paris one night, and what he did was he just imagined himself, after reading Luke 2, and imagined himself being a spectator for the birth of Christ. And he wrote this. Now, that just is amazing to me. Because you think, how do you get that much meaning and depth from a song if you're not even a believer? The interesting thing, too, is Adolf Adams isn't a believer either. He was a Jewish man. So the, the church was just up in arms. They said, we can't keep singing this song. I know the French people love it, but we can't keep singing it because it's just not even of Christians. But that's how God is, isn't he? 
God can work through a lot of things and a lot of people that don't necessarily know him. But the people loved it so much, what they did was they would sing the song everywhere else they went. They couldn't sing it in the church, but they sang it everywhere else they could possibly be. This, this song, like I say, has such an interesting history. And what happened was many, many years later, there was a, an American um, that later decided to translate the song into English by the name of John Sullivan Dwight. And he fell in love with the song because it actually has different words in it as we go along into the song that actually talk about, really, the abolishment of slavery, the fact that there's freedom in Christ, and there's freedom from oppression. And he was an abolitionist, and he said, this is a beautiful song. We should translate it for America, for the the people here. It's kind of an interesting thing when you think about the fact that there's songs that are written about our Christ, our Savior, that we listen to and we adore because we feel and we understand. But then I think that God could actually use somebody who had no belief in him, no true understanding of what it was, and actually work through that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love God so much, is that he can do that. But December 24th, also in 1906, the other part of the song was that, is that it was in the first AM really transmission across the airwaves. It was one of those things that they decided to do is they read Luke 2 in the Bible, the Jesus' stories, his birth, and then uh, what was his name? His name was Reginald Fessenden. He actually played it on the violin for everybody to hear, Oh Holy Night. Pretty amazing to think that it has that history from 1906 until now. So this song has this great history and this great, really, meaning for people. Can you imagine only hearing dots and dashes and little like clicks on a radio and then finally being able to hear the story of Jesus' birth and then the song, Oh Holy Night, over a radio? How exciting must that have been? But you know, tonight I'm just going to really talk to you, or today I'm just going to talk to you about the first stanza, really the first part of the song that actually we played for you today. Because there's so much meaning in that, despite even the other parts of it. There's so much more there, and it really kind of takes us right to that moment, exactly what Placide did, where he's right at that moment where Jesus is born, and he's there, and he's watching, and he's paying attention. And it's the Christmas story, obviously what we hear of as the Christmas story. So let me read it to you. Luke 2, 1 through 14. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Crinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Luke 2 was truly a story of a divine night, a divine night that took place in history. 
where this little tiny baby comes and is born. And it seems so insignificant. It seems so, who cares? Babies are born all over the world, all the time, every place. Why does this matter? But yet it had such great, great meaning, and it was so divine. It had such an amazing point in history of freedom to the people. And it seems so minuscule, but it changed everything. It changed everything for us. See, the thing is, when it says, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. It was as if suddenly there was this bright light that switched on. The people were stumbling in the darkness, and all of a sudden there was this light that entered into the world and gave them vision to see by. There was this feeling that there was nothing but dread and despair. And suddenly they had hope. They had hope that there was something more. It was a time where the world was suffocating, just suffocating, gasping for air, dying without oxygen. And Jesus was born, and all of a sudden, they took a deep breath of air, and they were like, I can breathe again. I can breathe again. It was a prison and a death sentence that people were under. And all of a sudden, the doors of the prison fly open, and we can walk out and we can be free. And years ago, you know, I sang that song, and I don't think I got it. I don't think I understood. I didn't grasp the meaning behind everything that was said. But when I read them and I sing them now, I do. I get it. I get it. The next part it says, it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining, what it means is actually to suffer mental and physical decline, as if a, you have a broken heart. The world's hearts were breaking. There were broken people everywhere. There was no hope. There was nothing to offer. It was just nothingness. There was nothing there. It was such a divine night when Christ was born. And I think sometimes we kind of really diminish it even today. We diminish it. We think of, oh, this little baby born in a manger. But we don't stop and think about the fact that that, that baby is our king, the one who grows up to die on the cross for us, the one who grows up to die and give us freedom, and someday will come back for us with a sword in his mouth, and he's going to come and he's going to make everything right. He's divine. It's a divine night. It was a time of great hope. It's just so wonderful, and I think we sometimes just miss it. We diminish it. But this idea of missing the mark, and you know, the idea that you could have the errors that you're doing in life. Those people had errors. They knew they were missing the mark. They knew that there was something not right. No matter what they did, they couldn't please anyone. They couldn't please God. And they were dying of a broken heart. Have you ever had a broken heart? It's horrible. It's a horrible thing to have a broken heart. If you've lived any many years at all, you're going to have had a broken heart at one point in your life. Have you ever had that experience where your heart actually ached. I mean, you can feel the ache in your chest, the pain that's there. Almost like this suffocating weight that's upon you, this heaviness that you can't get out of. You know, a bleakness, a darkness. You see the world out there and it looks like they're enjoying it, but yet you yourself, all you see is black and white. You don't see nothing else. You know, you hear laughter, you hear joy, you hear people experience all these great things, and you yourself, it's like, 
I feel none of that. You can't imagine yourself ever being carefree enough to ever last, laugh ever again. When you have a broken heart, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing to have that pain. I had that pain. I remember having that pain. I remember feeling that crushing weight. And years ago, like I say, when I read and I heard that song, I never paid attention. I never really paid attention. But I do remember a time before Jesus where I remember the pains of missing the mark. I remember the pain of thinking that I don't know what else I can do to make it in this world. I don't know what I can do to be happy. I don't know what I can do to feel joy. I feel like I'm dying of a broken heart. But when you hear this song and when you've accepted Christ as your Savior, there is that thrill of hope. There's this thrill of, thrill of hope that comes in, this rush of joy that comes in. When I hear this song, I'm going to tell you, this song just gets me. I don't think there's ever a time where I hear this song where I literally don't tear up because I realize how much God has changed my life, that I was dying of a broken heart, not that I was out of love. I had a family who loved me. But it was out of the fact that I didn't love myself. I didn't feel lovable. It was all inside myself. You know, there's that next line of the song where it says, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. When you come to Christ, you feel your worth. All of a sudden you think, I have value. I am valuable. I love that phrase, the soul felt its worth. Today when you're sitting there thinking about it, what is your soul worth? Do you ever stop and think, what, what do I matter? What is my soul worth to anybody and to anything? What does it matter? I think we have a way of kind of just getting lost in the crowd and not feeling as though we're valuable and we have something to offer or that God actually cares. I think that I've met many, many people in my life, and you can see by their actions and by the things that they're going through, that they don't really believe that their soul is worth much. And I think out of that, they really just keep making choices that aren't so good. They keep hurting their families. They hurt themselves because they don't see the value in themselves. And see, the whole point of this song is to God to show you that you're loved, you're valuable. You have so much that you can do in this world. And if it's just to show love and kindness to somebody, it's just to feel the love of God in your heart. That's what it's all about. But think about it today. Personalize this. When you hear this song, personalize it yourself. Think about what is your soul worth? What does it matter who you are and what you feel? Our true worth is not defined by what the world says we, we are or who we are or what people say we are. There's so many people that don't treat each other kindly, don't treat each other with respect, don't value each other. I'm a firm believer. I will tell you right now, I'm a person, if I come up and I tell you, you look pretty today, it's because I really truly think you're pretty. And you know what? I was walking out of Cracker Barrel the other day, and I know people probably think I'm very, very odd because I was literally walking out of Cracker Barrel and there was a woman sitting with her little, little baby. And I walked by and she caught my eye. And I thought, wow, she's stunning. And I looked at her and I said, you're beautiful. And she's like, thank you. And I said, no, you're just beautiful. 
missing something? We don't tell people they're beautiful. We don't tell people they're kind. We don't tell people they're valuable. We walk around and we treat people so coldly. And I think we should change that. I think we should give value to each other. But I think the world tells us that we're so invaluable, or we have value, no value. I can't get my words out. And you are valuable. God wants you to understand your value. You're so loved by God. And, you know, I cried when I wrote this message. And I really could cry now because I really do think so many people, even you guys sitting out there right now that are thinking, you have nothing to offer. No one would notice if you were missing. No one would care if you fell off the face of the earth. And I want you to know that's not how God thinks of you. Not at all. God wants you to understand how valuable you are. Valuable enough that he would die for you. Valuable enough to have a, a, a God who would so personalize what he did for us. Not the fact that he would just come as a conquering king like many religions, but that he would actually come and decide to come to this earth as a baby, a helpless infant. A helpless infant that would grow up to feel everything that we feel. What a personal God. Do you realize how personal that is? That we have a God that wants to feel our pain, that wants to feel heartache, that looks at somebody when they've lost a loved one and weeps with them. That actually looks at somebody when a mother that lost her son and says, feels that compassion to think she lost her only son. He felt all those things. What a personal God. This is why I say he deserves so much praise. The fact that we have a God that was not just wanting to be on a throne and be worshipped, but that he would experience every depth of pain that we ourselves will walk through on this earth. What a wonderful God that is. He wanted to feel what we feel, and he wanted to live what we live, and he relates to us so much. What a personal God that is. And today, right now where you sit, he sees you. He sees you. He sees everything that you're going through. He doesn't miss a thing. The Bible tells us that we can go to the highest of mountains or we could go to the depths of the sea and we can never get away from our God because he loves us that much. We're never separated away from him. What a great thing it is to know that we have that God with us all the time. He sees your pain. He sees your heartache. He sees your struggles every day trying to make it. And he even sees you when you err. When you're in your errors pining, he sees that. And he wants you to know that you're still valuable to him. See, the thing we feel in this world that if we fail, if we screw up, that all of a sudden we're not lovable no more. And God says, you still are. You're still lovable. Yes, we fail. Yes, we, we make a mistake. We fail. We fall. But you're still loved. It's just like any great love affair that you have in your life. If you're married or you have somebody in your life that you love, if you're a parent, you know, with your child, they can fail, they can screw up, but it doesn't change your love for them. You love them. It doesn't matter. They could hurt you so many times and you still love them with all your heart. That's how God loves us. It isn't if we do everything perfect that he loves us. We could be the worst, the vilest of offenders, and he still loves us. That's something that we need to remember. That's something I want you to leave with today, knowing how loved you are. And I want you to make it be personal. You know, we have this, this thing that we do in church, this thing that we do when we sing a worship song. When we read the words or we sing them, 
And what we do is we do this blanket thing. Yeah, okay, died. Christ died for the world. But you need to make it personal. Christ died for me. For me. For me. Something that I, sh- I should matter to nothing. No one. I'm so nothing. And God still looks at me and he died for me. Died personally for me. But like that thrill of hope, it says, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's when Christ came to be born on this earth. It was a new morning. This world that Jesus came into was so weary, so weary. It was religious oppression. You know, there were 613 laws in the Torah that they were trying to follow. Who could live under that? Who could live all these commandments? You know you can't possibly please a God that has 613 laws. And God says, away from that. That's, that's not necessary. I'm going to give you a new way. All you have to do is accept me into your heart, ask for forgiveness, and make me Lord. That's all you need to do, and I love you that much. How wonderful is that? This world was weary of Roman occupation. They were taking over everything. They were weary of waiting for this promise of this God, this king that was going to come. They kept saying, where is he? Where is this king? And we have such a great God that he confounds the wise and he has the baby come. How wonderful is that? Like I say, I love our God. I love our God that he just truly does trip up the knowledgeable and the people that always think that they're right. But today, you know what? We are no different. We live in this weary world. This world is wearisome, isn't it? There's days you get up and you think, how can I do this again? How can I do it? I can't please everyone. I'm sure you felt that. I can't please everyone. There's not enough time in my day to make everyone happy. I can't make ends meet. No matter how much I work, there's still always bills. I can't make it. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Just even trying to keep up with others. You know, we have social media today that literally just constantly tells everybody's wonderful things that are happening in the world, and you constantly compare your life with them, and you think, man, I'm weary of trying to keep up. I'm weary of trying to be beautiful. I'm weary of trying to look successful and have the right car and have the right house and have the right everything. To have kids that look like they're doing everything right. When you have kids, I will tell you, there's a whole world of weariness that will come upon you because you will constantly compare yourself against everybody else's parenting. How well they're doing in school. If your kids look successful, if your kids are failing, there is so much comparison, and it's wearisome. But Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest. There's something really great about having freedom and the knowledge of Christ in your heart. When you go to bed and you lay your head on that pillow, and you think, I don't have to keep up with anybody. I don't have to keep up with anybody at all. Today, I, I think God always wants you to, to know that don't give up. Don't give up. You know, there's that saying, and I really think it's exactly what people were experiencing in that time in history. It's always darkest before the dawn. And I think that's where a lot of us sit today. You know, a lot of us think, I can't do another day. I can't do another day. I am just so weary. My bones ache trying to keep up. 
But you know, God's word in the song says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There's new hope. There's hope for you today. If you're sitting there thinking, I can't do it, I can tell you all you have to do is just say, Jesus, help me, please. Call out his name. Ask him for help. That's what changes everything. Luke 1, 78 and 79 says, Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. I can tell you, that's what he did for me. That's what he did for me. February 27th, 1993, I can tell you, I was sitting in darkness, just darkness, and the shadow of death just loomed over me, just hung there all the time. My experience was my, we had death all the time in, our, in my childhood. My sister died when I was five and she was 18. My mom died two years later when I was seven. I had always figured I would never be there for my kids. I was going to die. My kids would be alone without a mom, just like I was. You know, there's something about when you lose your parent young, there's something about hitting that magical age that they were when they died. And I kept thinking, it's coming, it's going to come, and I'm going to leave my kids. And I lived with this oppressive darkness. On February 27th, I had no hope. But on February 28th, 1993, I went to church. Believe me, I mocked it. I made fun of the people. I thought it was all just utter craziness. What's this? What's all this singing? I don't get it. But I can tell you, I walked in that night and the pastor said, do you want Christ? And I felt like, this is it. This is it. This is what I've looked for my whole entire life. And when the altar call came, because now we let you raise your hand. In 1993, you walked to the altar and you said, I want that. And when I went, I didn't walk, I ran. I ran to the altar. Someone who literally mocked it the day before, God has a way of showing you that dawn that you need. The father I never had. The love that I never felt. I, I truly just couldn't get over the love and the hope that I had. The day before was darkness, and then this day I was like, oh my God. I have so much more in life than I could possibly imagine. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't get over it. No one was with me. I went alone. And I remember driving home that night thinking, did it matter? But every day, little bit by bit, God would show me, it's like, I'm real. And I love you. I love you so much. I never had that before. I'm going to tell you that new and glorious morn, I'd never felt that before in my life. Never. And I'll tell you, that's when life went from black and white to this glorious technicolor, like I saw things for the very first time. When life felt so oppressive and heavy and dark, and suddenly I felt like, I can breathe. I can breathe. I have hope. When despair did turn into hope, and all of a sudden I felt this freedom that I'd never felt before. I thought, I don't have to please everybody. I really just have to do my best and just keep God first. That's all I need to do. 
There's a wonderful line, and it's my, like I said, it's my favorite favorite song. And every time I come to this song, I can t- this part of the song, I tell you, I want to do what it says. Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices, oh, night divine, oh, night when Christ was born. I can tell you, you've probably seen me before. There are times when I'm in worship and I will still fall to my knees in worship. And I think we're missing that today in church. I think we should be showing God more praise. And it's not to pat anybody on the back. And if you don't feel that at the moment, don't do it. But if you feel it that God tells you, drop to your knees, thank me, give me praise, do it. Do it. That's what we need to do. We need to show him our appreciation. I can tell you, I so appreciate our God. I can't get over what he's done for me. I had no hope. I lived in a family that had no belief in God whatsoever, nothing. I was never raised with it. But look how good God is. He saved me. And then he went on seven years later, he saved my, my husband. He saved my children. I have two kids that love Jesus. I have a son that became a, a pastor. I have a daughter who does everything she can to serve God. And you know what? I was given an opportunity to lead a a youth group and talk for 12, 14 years to youth about Jesus Christ, to come up here and to be able to teach you more and more about Jesus. God is so good. He says, you think life is over? Life's not over. Look at all the things I had for you that you you would have never even understood if you wouldn't have come to me. I appreciate God so much. There's a story in here that every time I read, I think, this is me. Luke 7, 41 through 48, it says, Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaded money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but for the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she, she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. My sins were many. And I'll tell you, when we get in church, and some days I'm just sitting through my house, I think of like, my sins were so many, and he washed them away. The Bible says, they're far as the east is from the west. He doesn't even see him when he looks at me anymore. What freedom in that? To not think that you have to do everything perfectly, that God just loves us, just amazes me. But I don't know where you sit today, but if you've ever accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you know your past, you know the choices you made, you know the choices that sometimes still today you make. Have you been forgiven much? If you've been forgiven much, you need to praise him much. You need to show that appreciation much to him. Or are you only forgiven little? Do we want to be known for that? Do we want to be known that we're people who are forgiven much, but we only appreciate little? 
We've had those people in our life, haven't you, that you've given everything to and it doesn't even seem like they thank you? After a while, that gets wearisome. You're like, I do what I can for you. I try to help you. Where is the appreciation? Where is the love? If you've been forgiven much, appreciate it much. You know, we praise so many things in this world. We sit there and congratulate people if they get a new car. We congratulate people and say, oh, wonderful, wonderful, that's great. We have sports teams that we just yell, scream, tell everybody that you know they're wonderful, they're our team. But yet sometimes we come into a church, we hear these words that we're singing that are led in worship, and we wouldn't dare think to raise our hand or to sing out loud. And we sit there kind of judgmental and we think, and it's like, have you been forgiven much? Praise him much. He deserves it. He deserves every bit of praise we can give him for dying on the cross for us. I want to end with this, the idea that many years ago, Jesus came to be born in a manger so that he could die on the cross for us. So that we could have the thrill of hope that life could be different and death would not be our end. That's what the whole point was. And my prayer for you today is really that you never listen to that song in the same way again. That every time you hear that song, that you really personalize it. That you think the thrill of hope and that we should fall on our knees and we should praise God for the things that he's done for us. And I pray that for you today. And if you don't have that, if you're walking around here today feeling like you don't matter, if you feel like you're not valuable, if you feel you're not worthy, if you're just weary of trying to make it, I want you to understand that there's something more that's offered out there for you. That all Christ asks is that you say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. I want to make you Lord of my life. He just wants those simple words. So easy, so simple. Such a simple gift he gives us that I hope that you open this Christmas because he deserves our praise and our thankfulness. Let me pray for you. Well, Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful, and Lord, we do praise you. We love you. We adore you, Lord. We're so thankful for what you've done for us, that you've given us hope, that you've given us another path, that we don't have to keep walking around being burdened with this world. But Lord, we know that there's more out there. There's love that you give and compassion and gentleness and freedom. I just pray, Father, for each person today that, that, that doesn't know that, that doesn't feel that. I pray that you really give them that hope today. And Lord, I pray that you'd work upon their hearts and help them to see their value. And they're so important to you. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.